Hello, and welcome to Voices in Healthcare Finance. I'm Erica Grotto. Today, we're talking about work, plain and simple. You'll hear my interview with Kim Skesha of Mercy Health about remote revenue cycle teams, and later, a conversation with Quinton Smith from Baker Tilly about job hunting. And speaking of jobs, if you have any good job news, you'll hear about a way to share it at the end of the episode. But first, let's see what's going on in the news with Rich and Chad. Hello, this is Rich Daly, a senior writer and editor for HFMA. Hi, this is Chad Mulvaney, a policy director for HFMA. Today on the Beyond the News segment, where we take a quick look at some of the key developments in recent news, we're going to take a look at the recently released final rule for Medicare's hospital inpatient prospective payment system. Issued September 2nd, the IPPS final rule finalized controversial new transparency requirements that included requiring hospitals to report median payer-specific negotiated charges for Medicare Advantage health plans. What's uh, important to know on this latest transparency initiative from the administration, Chad? Interesting about this is, as you noted, CMS is going to require hospitals to, for, for, for their cost report periods ending after uh, 1-1-21, they'll have to report the median contracted rate for their MA plans. And what they're going to do allegedly is now starting in for federal physical year 2024, they're actually going to replace the charge-based MSDRG weights with weights that are calculated using these median MA rates. And the idea, at least from CMS's rationale for it, is to introduce more market-based mechanisms or functioning into Medicare fee-for-service pricing. There are obviously a whole host of reasons that we document in our comment letter, which is on the HMA website, why we don't think it's going to achieve that goal. CMS states that they also think that this will help move away from reliance on hospital charge masters in the, as part of its rationale, which is a goal that we, at least at the 10,000-foot level, don't disagree with. In fact, we've got an alternative proposal for rebasing weights that would completely decouple charges from Medicare payments. However, CMS is, has considered it and is still thinking about it. But really, at the end of the day, we don't think that this proposal will, or this final, what CMS has now finalized, will actually replace uh, or, or sort of reduce the reliance on charge masters for Medicare reimbursement, simply because outliers are still going to be based on charges. APC weights will still be based on charges, et cetera. So that's, that's kind of the, the lay of the land on this one. The other piece probably worth mentioning is that CMS in its commentary on the rule states that it thinks it's provided enough guidance to hospitals on how to submit their negotiated MA rates as part of the cost report filing. When I read through it, I'm not sure I quite saw an adequate level of detail. So this is something that we'll be working with HMA's members on to hopefully get additional clarity from CMS through some type of sub-regulatory guidance. I see. Okay. And then the other, uh, another detail from the rule was its tweaking of CMS's calculation for disproportionate share hospital payments. Uh, what's the significance of these changes, Chad? So the, the dish pool was initially going to be reduced by $534 million relative to the 2020 final rule. Uh, fortunately, CMS went back and recalculated the rate of uninsured because in the proposed rule, it didn't 
take into account the, the changes in coverage due to the pandemic. And so as a result in the final rule, the UC dish pool available for distribution will only be $60 million lower than what it was for, for FY20. Still fewer dollars available than last year, but certainly a, a definite improvement in the total dollars available. And that was certainly something that HFMA, as well as other associations and providers, had pointed out to CMS in their comment letter. And then one other to ask you about was also uh, some changes were included to Medicare bad debt rules. So this is something we're still reviewing, but it's certainly worth providers to go take a close look at because CMS attempts to codify a number of sort of its informal policies related to Medicare bad debt. Some of these are retroactive. Um, so it will have potentially some bearing on uh, cost reports that are under appeal for bad debt. But in essence, what CMS has tried to do is eliminate some of the confusion around bad debt, particularly around what constitutes reasonable collection effort for both those who aren't indigent, how to sort of identify folks as indigent, and what to do for dual beneficiaries in instances where the, the state doesn't provide a remit. So certainly detailed, but certainly something that providers need to take a look at. I see. Well, thanks a lot for those insights, Chad. This is uh, obviously some critical developments, and we'll be keeping an eye on them moving forward. Absolutely, Rich. Always great chatting with you. For daily news updates on healthcare finance developments, check out our news page at hfma.org forward slash news. Thanks for listening. Are you a business partner looking to connect with HFMA members? Share your thought leadership, network with our membership, sponsor events, and raise your brand awareness in unique and meaningful ways. For more information and to discover all the opportunities available, please visit us at hfma.org opportunities. If you're a longtime listener of this podcast, you've definitely heard me talk about my kids. You might have even heard them on here from time to time. But when I conducted the interview you're about to hear with Kim Skasha, the vice president of Revenue Cycle at Wisconsin-based Mercy Health, my six-year-old and four-year-old were in the room and not doing the best job of keeping quiet. So you may hear little voices in the background from time to time. Funnily enough, the interview was about the challenges and opportunities of working remotely. And my situation is similar to what so many remote workers are going through right now. Some of you might have little kids, or maybe you're trying to navigate online learning like I am right now with my first grader. Or maybe your challenges are different. Some jobs are hard to do from home, and some people just like it better in the office. Or maybe you're at home and thriving. The point is, the experiences run the gamut. As a revenue cycle leader, Skasha had some insights to share about how to help remote and hybrid teams perform well, with some encouraging numbers from Mercy. But I think leaders from all areas of a healthcare organization can find some things to apply. One of the biggest leadership challenges that I see is that, you know, for the last, I mean, I've been in healthcare 24, 25 years, something like that. And that entire time in healthcare, especially in revenue cycle, it's been, okay, what's your action OI or what is your productivity? That's it, right? I, I want to know which productivity is. How many widgets did you touch today? How many accounts did you touch? And you still see that and hear that in the industry. And we have to get out of that mindset. We have to start thinking about, did you do the right work today? Were you effective in your work? 
And it's really hard for healthcare leaders to get into that mindset. I've been extremely blessed here at Mercy Health because my management team, and I've only worked with them for four months, they have embraced this idea of, I'm not going to, you know, monitor somebody on, did you touch 65 accounts today? What I want to monitor on is, of the accounts you touched today, did you take the right action? Did you progress my account for resolution? And so as leaders, we have to really start learning how to teach our staff about, you know, the importance of taking the right action and making sure that we're not constantly hammering on productivity, 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 because while it's important, I mean, I want to make sure that, you know, Erica's at least doing a minimum necessary today. Uh, Maybe you worked 50 accounts today, but of those 50 accounts, you know, maybe you got promises to pay from the insurance company on 45 of them. Well, that's way better than, say, someone else who touched 50 accounts and all they did was leave messages all day long. And so it's a really different mindset for most people because, like I said, healthcare is just a little bit further behind from analytics and, you know, kind of what we do. So it's teaching and training our leaders, you know, how to do that, how to think that way, and then really how to dig into are we making sure that the tools are there? Is the training correct and accurate? And are we doing enough for our teams who may not be on site every day to um, support them? You know, are we making phone calls? Are we individually reaching out? It goes a long way, especially at the manager or even at the vice president level to literally just call someone and say, hey, I just want to touch base and see how it's going. You know, or do you have any challenges? Is there anything I can help you with? The staff really respond to that. And it's important, especially now with all of the stressors that everybody's under to do those things and keep that focus. One thing that I have experienced and I've heard from other people is in working from home, you kind of have to do that reach out um, on a purposeful, in a purposeful way. And that it actually has in a weird way brought people a little closer because they are, talking to each other on purpose now and and making meaningful connections and having those conversations. How are you doing? Is there anything you need? It's really interesting. What are some of the positives that you've seen at Mercy as a result of sending people home very quickly? And, and what do you think might stay in the future? The biggest positive, obviously, was that we were able to retain staff. Um, we had a lot of fear at the height of the pandemic. And so Being able to send people home allowed us to retain people and it allowed us to send folks home and give them some ease and some peace. We worked very hard because we have a really large staff. We worked very hard to ensure that, you know, anyone who, for example, was pregnant or had underlying conditions was one of those first rounds of people that we said, okay, let's send you home. Uh, We want to make sure you're safe. And so I think that sent a really positive message to our staff. Now, the really interesting thing is that, like I said, I I joined Mercy in March and we threw a tremendous amount of um, new changes at our staff, including new technology that allowed us to monitor, you know, everything. Um, And that's essentially how we were able to, for lack of a better word, sell the idea of sending people home to the higher executives because we know exactly what they're doing. We know when they're logging in. We know when they're logging out. We know how many they touch and what the actions are that they're taking. And 
you know, who needs more training? And so the staff themselves, while they were a little stressed because change is painful and then you've got the pandemic, right? You know, they've really responded well and positively to all of the major changes we've had. I think we're going to come out of this a lot stronger because we are trying very hard to support that team and do right by them. And like I said, we're now looking at what are we going to do for the next three months to make sure that we can retain staff. I was talking with someone yesterday in Revenue Cycle specifically about telehealth. And one of the challenges that she was talking about with sending everybody home was we're not just sending everybody home to do the jobs that they've been doing for however long. We're sending everybody home with a new process. We've got a pandemic going on. There are different payer rules in place for different things. And so some processes are in flux constantly. Did you have that experience as well, where it was it was not just one challenge, but many on top of many on top of many? Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. And I, and I mean, I don't think it's over yet. We just got extensions for the states of emergency in Illinois and Wisconsin here, and, um, you know, it's still not over. I have personally made it my mission to send personal emails to my entire staff at least once a week, and it's always on different topics, and sometimes it might just be something that I'm reading, but just trying to, to really tell them everything that's going on and all the changes that we're making and trying to keep everybody informed because it's been constant constant change. Can you talk a little bit about your lessons learned through this? And I'm sure there are many. Uh, I'm sure there are many to come. Um, But but Mercy rebounded pretty quickly um, and collected 20 million over your target for the month of June. So um, not bad. Um, what what do you think allowed you to do that? And what do you think other organizations can do as they try to navigate the pandemic going forward? Yeah, I think we were a little unique. Um, I don't want to say lucky enough because it was a blessing and a curse all at the same time. Um, We were lucky enough to be so far over our target because we had an extremely aged receivable when I got here. And so there was a tremendous amount of work to be done. So there was a lot of money out there to be had. So for anyone that's high performing, you know, and doesn't have a extremely aged receivable, you're not going to get 20 million over your target, right? (laughs) Um, But I think from a lessons learned perspective, it's literally just, um, it's listening. I have turned off the news. I don't listen to the news. It's listening to my staff. It is ensuring that they understand the direction And even simple things that some of us as executives take for granted, right? We know what COVID did to us financially. You know, we lost, I think it was 120 million in revenue in in total gross charges in one month. And the frontline staff don't know that. They don't understand the furloughs. They don't understand hiring freezes, you know, and it's a lot more difficult to tell that story. And, there are a lot of organizations that won't tell that story, right? They're not going to talk to their staff and they're not going to, you know, try to educate folks on what is really happening. And, and I truly believe that knowledge is power. And if you talk more than you listen, then you are not going to learn. And so from a lessons learned perspective for me, it's, it's listening to the staff and it's continuing that communication because I mean, I learn every day here. 
I, I learn from my staff. I, I learn from my executive team. I listen to, you know, kind of where we're going overall. And I try to make sure to just continue to teach because the more we're doing that, the more successful we're becoming. I am astounded every day by some of the things that we're accomplishing here. It is truly amazing to see where we've come from since March. How do you benchmark your revenue cycle performance? Many organizations measure success compared to past performance. Others leverage software to benchmark against other facilities that share the same technology. But that only paints part of the picture. What about comparing your performance to your peers? Peers that you define in custom peer groups. MapApp is the online benchmarking tool from HFMA that helps organizations compare their performance against data from more than 600 facilities. Interested in taking the next steps to identify your revenue cycle opportunities? Visit hfma.org forward slash MapApp. It's an unpleasant fact, but we've all seen it. A lot of people are looking for jobs right now. If you happen to be one of them, or if you're still working, but have lost some of your team members to furloughs and layoffs, this segment is for you. Recently, I connected with Quinton Smith, a senior consultant with Baker Tilly US and an HFMA member. He had some practical advice that I thought was worth passing along. The COVID-19 pandemic has a lot of people out in the job market again, a lot of people in healthcare. Probably some of our listeners have been furloughed or have been laid off. So what are some things that these folks can do to keep up their skills and stay occupied and really stay positive while they're looking for a job? So I think, you know, personal development is really critical for those that have a desire to advance in their careers. And I think that continuous learning and self-reflection are, are really key components of that entire process. The challenge today is that there's so much information out there that it becomes difficult to decide really where to focus your attention. You know, there, there's just so many resources on the internet. And and I, there's a quote out there that I've heard many times, and I love it. And I think that it really fits perfectly to this challenge. And it's a wealth of information creates a poverty of attention. And basically, you know, there's, there's just so much information that's being shared today, but only some will really help you grow as a person and as a leader. So the question becomes, you know, how do you find the right information and eliminate any distractions? You know, what I've done that I think can help other people is, is to think about where you want to be three to five years from now and think about what your day-to-day work life will be in that future role. And then think about what are some of the skills and the core competencies that would be required in a future role in terms of, you know, industry expertise, the business, business acumen, leadership, or other particular skills. And, and that step can be the hardest because you may not know what you don't know. So again, fall back on your mentors and use the resources that are out there. What you do once you have that information is, is you just, you chip away at that daily. Just have a little bit of discipline and planning. And, and create what I call kind of like a learning priority plan. So I have a simple Google sheet that's on my Google Drive that lists all the different skills and competencies that I need to improve at. And I just take 30 minutes to an hour every day and I learn something new that I didn't know the day before. 
Another thing that I would recommend right now is, is personal branding. Personal branding is it's not only a great idea, but I think it's actually a requirement in today's age where we're so connected and there's so much information. I think that there's kind of three components to, to personal branding and it's, you know, adding value to your network through sharing your experiences or sharing what you're learning currently or, you know, giving insight that you feel like would be valuable to other people. The second part is engaging your network, you know, liking posts or leaving comments or messaging people. Just be very active on the network. And then the third part is giving. And I think this is the most important, you know, give to people without any expectation for reciprocity. Just offer to connect other people in your network. Look at someone's resume. You know, if you know of opportunities that are out there, do the same thing for other people. And and eventually you'll develop a persona for yourself as someone that gives. And that's really, really important for your brand. Let's talk about the people who might be on a team who have lost some team members who might find themselves with more work to do than they had before because some team members have, have been laid off. What words of wisdom do you have for those folks I think communication is really important. So if your leader isn't engaging you, try to engage your leader and, and see if you can set up frequent touch points so that you can voice these concerns and talk about what's going on and, and say that, you know, this is what my workload looks like right now. Can you give me an idea of how to prioritize this? Because there's only so many hours in the day. Speak to your leader about what does the future look like? You know, what is the long term? Or, or do we plan on re reassessing the situation and possibly adding some of these staff back back to the team? Or is this going to be a long-term solution? And they may not know because we don't really know how this thing's going to pan out. But I think just having an idea and giving your leader an idea of what is going on is really important. If you're looking to take the next step in your career, turn to HFMA's online job bank. Search open positions, create a profile, and make your resume available to companies seeking qualified candidates. Start your search now at hfma.org slash job bank. We've talked a lot about work and careers today, and I have one last tidbit to add from HFMA. For that, I would like to welcome Jennifer Novoselecki, HFMA Social Media Manager. Welcome, Jen. Hi, Erica. Thank you for having me. So we're here today to talk about the people column in HFM, which is something you put together for every issue. For those listeners who might not have read the people column before, tell us about it. People is an ongoing column I cover in the monthly HFM magazine and online. We feature members who have news to share with the rest of the healthcare finance industry, such as new jobs, promotions, newly launched projects, graduation, retirement, and so forth. The best part about this column is it's free to members and could potentially be valuable for other members to see this news. So there's been some kind of cool stuff in the people column lately. Um, The September issue is dropping right about now. People should be able to see it in their mailboxes soon. What's going on in the September column? So our column also features accomplishments such as publishing a book or an article. And in the September issue, we highlight one member's published article in his local newspaper. It's a feel-good article about staying home during the COVID-19 mandate. You'll also see one member's not-for-profit foundation launch, 
members accepting new jobs, and we honored two members who recently died. So if anyone listening out there has something that they would like to tell us about, get the word out to their fellow members, how can they contact you? To participate, all they have to do is send me an email at jnovosoletsky at hfma.org or message me on Twitter with details on the news that they have and to include their professional headshot. And we'll go from there. Well, thanks very much. And I know that Novo Selecki is probably pretty intimidating for folks to spell. So we will put a link to Jen's email address and Twitter handle in the show notes. So thanks so much for joining me today, Jen. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to everybody's submissions. Voices in Healthcare Finance is produced by the Healthcare Financial Management Association and written and hosted by me, Erica Grotto. Sound editing is by Linda Chandler. Brad Dennison is our Director of Content Strategy. Our President and CEO is Joe Pfeiffer. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. It really does help us get noticed and move up in the rankings. And if you'd like to talk with our team directly, please reach out at podcast at hfma.org. Try not to mess up this time, Mom.